As I already mentioned this afternoon, we've come once again to the very beginning of catechism, as is our custom in the afternoon worship service, to go through the Heidelberg Catechism. And in Lord's Day 1, the church summarizes what the Bible teaches about our comfort in life and death. And here we confess the following, what is your only comfort in life and death, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head indeed. All things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, boys and girls, that includes you who are members of God's covenant and congregation. Sometimes we might wonder why the catechism. Isn't it odd to be busy with a document that's 450 years old? Well, and including the fact that it was written originally in, in a different language, in German, in a different culture, in a different time. You might think, doesn't that, doesn't that put the catechism out of touch with reality? Well, when you look at the first question and answer, we come to the truth very quickly that this is about reality. Because this first question in the catechism is a question that People have been asking ever since Eve and Adam sinned when they took the forbidden fruit. Because every human being is in need of comfort because of the sin and misery in the world. And so the catechism is not an out-of-date confession. Because it's also a confession that's based squarely on the word of God. The word which God gives to us so that we can know him, trust him, find peace in him, and comfort in our struggles and tears. And because the catechism is based squarely on God's word, it it helps us to find our way through scripture, to oversee the contents of scripture, to understand it better. And so we need this no less than God's people did 450 years ago. And so I've summarized the sermon under the theme, when we believe the word of God... We receive comfort in life and in death. Why and how? Because we know our need for redemption, we know the way of redemption, and we know our life in redemption. It doesn't really 
bear repeating, but I'll say it anyway, our existence in this world, congregation, is not an easy existence, is it? It's true, of course, we have many good things to enjoy. There's many beautiful things that we can enjoy in this creation. We enjoy the sunshine for the last two days that we haven't seen for many months. We have light and warmth from the sun. There's, there's beauty also in watching the snowflakes falling down to earth softly. There is much beauty in creation. And also in, in one another, in family and friends, and, and in, in, in listening to music or relaxing in an easy chair with a good book in your lap. There's many good things that we can enjoy. But life also, also has many things that are not good. There are, there are things in life, congregation, that, that all the good things in life can never truly satisfy. There is an emptiness in, in the heart of men and women and boys and girls everywhere that cannot be filled with the riches and the treasures and the pleasures of this world, of this created world. And in addition to this, life also confronts us with grief and sadness. There, there is a sea of sorrows in life, a, a river of pain, worry and anxiety. Life is not one continuous bed of roses, is it? And in fact, in Genesis 3, God promised our first parents after the fall and sin that life would be filled with pain and with thorns and thistles. And life is a battle and a messy battle. And no one is truly and completely happy. We are born to sin and misery. And all people on earth are born subject to this sin and misery. But there is a huge difference in how we understand the misery of this world. There is one group of people that simply accepts this misery as part of life. Right? The bad things in this world, that's just part of life. That's just how life has evolved. That's just how life functions. And then, of course, no one is really to blame. That's just a problem of genetics or environmental influences. And the causes of our social problems are due to factors like poverty or, or the lack of freedom and education. And then when we think this way, then we conclude, of course, too, that we have the solutions. Human race is able to solve its own problems. But when we view the misery in this world from a biblical perspective, we come to a totally different conclusion. We know from Genesis 1 that God made man in his own image, and man was given a task and an office to fulfill. When God made mankind, he told him to live in righteousness and holiness. And if they did, they would live eternally. They would receive eternal life. You see, life, true life, means to live in full and perfect communion with God. That's what it is to have eternal life. It means that God gives himself to his people so that they can enjoy him forever. Right? That's what Jesus said in his, in his prayer in John 17. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. It is eternal life, knowing God. That is what gives true joy and happiness and contentment. Only God can fulfill all of our desires. Only God can make us satisfied. So eternal life then means to live in absolute and complete blessedness. And that's what God promised to Adam and Eve. 
However, he also promised that he would pour his wrath out on them if they despised and rejected that life that he offered them, if they rejected his love, if they despised the communion that he had offered them. There would be the result of death. And that is certainly the opposite of eternal life, isn't it? Because death means to do without God's love, without his communion, to be separated from God, to live in complete loneliness, without comfort, without joy. Death is to live in endless fear about your own survival. It means to live in terror of facing your creator and shudder in dread of the possibility of living in hell forever. And so the Bible teaches us that we must face the reality that we have all sinned. And according to God's word, when we sin, we are guilty before God and deserving of his wrath. And so we who believe in God's word, this is how we understand sin and misery, our own sin and misery. And so we understand that behind all the misery in the world lies the judgment of God. That is the result of sin. So the Bible teaches us about the awesome and eternal and almighty wrath of God. And already in Genesis chapter 3, you can can hear how, how Satan wants us to believe that God will never change that. That God is an arbitrary God. He, he has a devilish delight in, in wanting us to, to keep us from true life, from eternal life. He wants us to join him in eternal death. And the one who knows and believes the word of God, congregation, when we know and believe the word of God, then we understand too, I am not able to defend myself against the wrath of God. I cannot defend myself against the devil or against evil in my own heart either. And so we understand that that by nature and without Christ, we are in a desperate condition. The word desperate hardly begins to describe it. And it's, it's really horrible, isn't it? It's awful to contemplate that by our own fault, we are subject to God's wrath, children of wrath, Subject to death, given over to the power of Satan. What a horrific condition. And yet, congregation, when we believe the word of God, this is how we understand sin and misery. You see, it is only those who truly believe the word of God who can also truly understand the misery in the world and the misery in our own hearts and lives. And so this is what we confess and believe. I I deserve this just verdict from God. In my sin, I am guilty and deserving of death. However, congregation, we who confess and believe the word of God, we don't stop there. The story doesn't end there. And when I use the word story in a sermon, I, I mean God's story, okay? The story of salvation, his history. And so we also receive comfort in life and death, knowing that we are redeemed by Christ's blood. Because 
to confess your guilt and your sin and misery, that's the first step on the way to redemption and salvation. If we have this fatalistic view of life, that misery is just, just a part of life, we might as well give up now already. Or any thought of, of life getting better either. But when we believe the word of God, then we know there is a God in heaven who can and does hear us. There is a God whose heart does turn towards sinners. Because his word tells us that his ear is not so dull that he cannot hear. Isaiah 59 verse 1. Or that he is inclined to hear me. Therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. Psalm 116. And so when you believe the word of God, as soon as you understand your sin and misery, then you also you start to call upon that God. Because you know that he hears you. Because the word of God tells us that the very same God who speaks to us about our sin and misery is also our gracious Father in Jesus Christ. And the fact that that he speaks to us about our misery, that's that's the background for his coming to us in Christ and, and speaking to us about our redemption and salvation. See, congregation, God is not a God who lets us dwell in the pit of our misery without showing us the way of salvation. His goal is not to let us spend a a good long time in fear and terror of death before offering the gift of eternal life. He didn't do that with Adam and Eve either, did he? As soon as they sinned, God came to the garden. Adam, where are you? And he offered them the free gift of salvation. And he doesn't want to make us pay for what Christ already paid for in our place. So when we hear God speak to us of our sin and misery, we are also hearing him speak of forgiveness and mercy. And when we contemplate our sin and misery, he comes to us with the good news that he forgives that he adopts us as his children. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God adopts us as his children. And he says, he says to you, each individual, you are my child. Even though you brought this upon yourself, you are my child. Even though you are guilty and lost in yourself by your own fault, I come to you with my loving kindness and I offer you the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And I sent my son to redeem you, to pay your debt, to satisfy my wrath, to make it possible for you to be freed from the clutches of Satan and from the power of death. And now, instead, I have prepared eternal life for you in Christ. You see, congregation, that is the good news of comfort and joy that comes to us when we believe the word of God. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Isaiah 53. That the Son of God, born in Bethlehem, would do all of this for us. That he would bear our grief and carry our sorrow. That he was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquity. That he paid for all of our sins with his precious blood. 
and that by faith in him now we belong to him because we've been purchased with that blood. And congregation, that is the guarantee that we will never end up back in the power of Satan. Because when we believe in Christ, that means we belong to him and not to Satan. We belong to the one who has conquered sin and Satan. We belong to the one who has conquered death and the grave. And when you belong to Jesus Christ, you belong to a living Savior, a Savior who also lives to serve you, to preserve you, to protect you, body and soul, in the salvation that he has obtained for you. And that's so wonderfully expressed in Ephesians chapter 1. There we read that from before the foundation of the world, God ordained Christ to be the Redeemer. And at the same time, from before the foundation of the world, he also chose us in Christ to be his sons and daughters. And when God chooses us in Christ, he also guarantees our salvation by granting us his Holy Spirit. He seals us with his Spirit. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is proof, is a guarantee that we are sealed as children of God. You see, that's, that's where our comfort lies. It's guaranteed. And so then we may know, too, that whatever evil God sends to us in this life, which we confess that he does, he sends adversity into our lives, he will turn it to our good. As we confess in Lord's Day 1, as the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, God will either turn evil away from us or turn it to our good. He can make it to our blessing. All things must work together for my salvation. And that is what gives us comfort, congregation. Gives us hope and confidence for tomorrow. That's the only way we can be thankful in prosperity and patient in adversity. And even when we don't understand the way God works evil for good, we can trust him that he is doing this because the greatest evil ever committed was certainly for our good, wasn't it? The greatest evil ever committed was that Christ was nailed to the cross an innocent man, completely, purely innocent, the righteous dying for the unrighteous. Certainly that was for our good. And so we can trust him because he let his only begotten son experience death so that we can receive eternal life. And even when we face physical death, we can be sure of eternal life. Because the Christ who walks with us through life also walks with us when we leave this life. When you are in Christ, he will escort you from this life into paradise. And then the gates of death become the gates of splendor into the very presence of our Heavenly Father. So if you truly know yourself to belong to Jesus, then you also know that you have his protection in life and in death. And that is what makes our comfort so great and so real. There is really no 
true comfort other than that. But there's still more to be said because we also receive comfort in life and death because we know the way of living in this redemption. It's one thing to receive this comfort. It's it's another thing to live it, isn't it? We're called to live in this comfort, to live as those who are Christ's possession. The Word of God teaches us about our misery and about the salvation Christ has obtained for us, but it also teaches us how we are to live in thankfulness before the face of God. Psalm 50 again, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. It's the same Word of God that tells us how to do this. His Word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. God's Word teaches us how to live for Him, how to live for our neighbor. And we must do this as those who belong to Christ because we are His possession. And that might raise a question. Because is the joy of our salvation perhaps not not tempered by the fact that now we are slaves of Christ? He is our master. We have been bought with His precious blood. Can we really be free if we belong to a master? Can we really enjoy life in salvation if we belong to him. And often people ask this in a different way. It's like, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with doing that? Right? There are so many things in life that look like fun, but the Bible says you shouldn't be doing this. And so it really seems as if belonging to Christ is not real freedom. But remember what we confess. In the last part of the first answer, he makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. You see, the wonderful thing about living in service of this master is that he doesn't force you to obey him. He makes you heartily willing to obey him. By his word and spirit, he prepares our hearts, he molds our hearts So that serving him is not a burden, but a joy and a delight. But then we also have to allow ourselves to be taught by his word. You see, if if we refuse to listen to that word, then we won't experience what it is to be heartily willing and ready to serve him. Or to put it another way, it's rather hypocritical to believe God's word concerning the blessing of salvation but not to believe his word when it comes to the obedience in salvation. It's rather hypocritical to accept the salvation God offers, but not the consequences of that salvation. To be be happy for the gift of eternal life, but then turn around and reject how God wants you to live in that life. Scripture tells us that living out of thankfulness makes us rich. It gives us true happiness. It increases our level of assurance and strengthens our faith. Think of Psalm 1. Happy, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but meditates his love. His delight is to meditate on the word of God. Then he will be like a tree that's planted by living streams of water, producing fruit. But we will only experience this if we willingly submit ourselves to the word of God. And the will of Christ. And we will only experience the only comfort in life and death 
if we willingly submit to the will of Christ. If you continue to rebel against God's will, as long as you do that, you will not have true comfort and joy in this life. You see, our level of comfort is is in direct proportion to the level of our obedience. In the congregation, we all need this comfort, don't we? Because we're all sinners in need of comfort. We're all faced with the reality of, of death and the struggles of life. And we all will face eternity. And how will we get through this if we try to depend on ourselves? Do you think you can ever find enough money to pay God off? Do you think you can ever get enough Christmas presents to make up for all the pain and the sorrow in this world or in your life? Do you think you will ever find the fountain of eternal youth? You can drown your fears in alcohol or drugs. But will that bring you true comfort in life and in death? We all know better than that. None of these things are the answers to reality of sin and misery. We don't find our comfort in the created things, but we find our comfort only in the Creator. The answer lies beyond what is created, beyond ourselves. Comfort lies in one thing and one thing only, that I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you live from this comfort too? Do you live from this comfort too? How often don't we look to other things for comfort? Try to find comfort in amusement, in material possessions, in doing whatever we want. When you're angry, where do you turn to? When you're afraid, where do you turn to? When you're sad, where do you turn to? If you turn to anything at all except Christ, you will not be comforted. What truly is your comfort? And let's not fool ourselves by thinking that I can still have some of my own freedom apart from obedience to Christ and still expect to have comfort too, true comfort. There are only two ways to live and two ways to die. You either live in sin or you live in faith. You either die in your sins or you die in faith. You either live and die on your own or you live and die in the comfort of belonging to Christ. And if you don't know the comfort of belonging to Christ, then don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Give yourself to him and grab hold of the comfort that he offers in his might and through his spirit. And ask him in faith to make you heartily willing and ready to serve him. It would be really an awful thing if any one of us went home this afternoon after hearing this sermon without true comfort, wouldn't it? 
If any one of us went through life without knowing and experiencing the comfort of belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's available. It's available to you as you hear God's word proclaimed. It's available to anyone who gives his life or her life to the Lord Jesus Christ because it's a free offer of grace. God freely gives this to anyone. So grab a hold of this comfort. Believe it. Live by it. Because it's the only comfort to live and die by. Amen.